Hello. Hey there. Maybe. Hey. Had some technical issues trying to get into this, man, but uh, finally got in. What about you? How you doing, man? Definitely good, good. It's been a good night so far. A little long, but good otherwise. <laughs> Great to hear from you, brother. Oh, hell yeah, man. Good to be here. Definitely. So, this is live. We're on the podcast, and I'm recording as we speak, brother. Um, uh, so, just for our audience, um, give a quick rundown of basically who you are, your name, what you studied, things like that, and what you're into. Uh, well, since I don't know entirely what all issues we're going to cover on the podcast, let's just call me the Fallout Blacksmith. I'm a carpenter living in Northwest Florida. I do a lot of general labor work, drywall, painting, tile, framing, trim, you know, shit like that. And I do a lot of hobby work, also trying to make money wherever I can, trying to get out of the obvious poverty situation that has overtaken many in my generation i'm 29 years old and uh you know i don't want to give out too much more than that no, no, of course uh, so long story short you definitely call yourself millennial you definitely call yourself a member of the working class you and i are about the same age i'm about i'm 28 i'm a year younger than you and so i think that's kind of going to lead into what we're talking about here we're talking about the basically the issues that our generation is facing uh the issues that both the service sector class, which is my tends to be more my occupation, and the working class, you know, construction and whatnot. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about the issues that you that you guys face, issues that we oh, absolutely, face. and uh, kind of what happened internally with regards to our country becoming that way, and what happened externally with regards to other countries uh, kicking that along. Oh, absolutely, and uh, I mean. Are you are you angling more to try to look at the economic side of this, or the sociological side of this, or maybe the theological side of this? I mean, what side do you want to explore first? I think we'll start with the economic side, and then because I think it intertwines with the sociological side. I think people only see the symptoms of you know social decay and the the sort of rot, if you will, that has pervaded our culture for the past few decades, and that tends to be what I, I focus on on this show, regardless, kind of the sociological, psychological aspects of all this, the philosophy behind it all. And uh, I think so we'll start with the economics and then kind of flow over into there and see where we get to. And um, I'll kind of lay the framework here and say that I think that a large part of, you know, as you've said, our generation has faced grinding poverty. Um, the majority of us are getting married much later. Um, the majority of us are working in jobs that, you know, either don't pay enough or they don't pay enough to cover our, our expenses because the cost of living is is incredibly astronomical. High. What's that? The cost of living is astronomical. Let me say firsthand that while the economic practices across the country have affected various parts of the country in different ways, uh, generally where I'm at in Northwest Florida, we've really done better than everyone else. And I don't mean that in the arrogant sort of way that, oh, we've got things you don't have. But no. I mean, if I go north to Alabama or if I go to Georgia or Mississippi, Tennessee, Illinois, Kentucky, uh, I see the same exact thing. There just aren't any jobs unless you're bred into the community. There's just nothing to do, nowhere to spend any money, no money to earn. But the housing is all really, really, really cheap. And here in Northwest Florida, 
no matter what year it is, no matter what time of year, there's usually always some kind of work. Even if there isn't very much, even if it doesn't pay very much, there's always some kind of work to do. So I would say that with the added bonus of that I live just uh, – I live about an hour north of the coast. And right there on the coast, I mean – 50 years ago, it would have been nothing but beach shacks out on the sand with maybe an outhouse. But today you see a lot of properties where it's like a million dollars, two or three million dollars for a half acre or an LSP. It was eight million dollars for a quarter acre. And then you had to build within two years to get rid of the shit. So <clears throat> you got things like that driving up the, uh, the taxes, which caused the massive over speculation of land that was worth, you know, pennies on the dollar. 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago, it's worth just these ridiculous amounts now. And most of the time around here, you see people working 10 and $12 an hour jobs, but expected to pay 12 to $1,800 a month in rent. And it doesn't make any sense. And it's, it's completely insane. And it's because here in Florida, at least, uh, these carpetbaggers still come back around. And every time we have a hurricane, like Panama City and, and uh, Mexico Beach just got leveled in this last hurricane that came through. And, you know, I went through that way and I was doing some of the work over there. And, you know, a year and a half after the hurricane, there were still people with trees in their living room and tarps on their roof. And one dude had, I will shoot you, spray painted on his garage door. It looked like fucking zombie land out there. And, uh, you know, pardon my French on that one, but these places are not getting many better. And the only reason there's any kind of economic stimulus going on in this area at all is because we have foreign money coming through and gutting us and raping our culture and overdeveloping our land and over speculating things to where people in our generation cannot afford to live in these areas. Like right now, most of the people I know, most of the people I went to high school with or middle school with, or most of the people I grew up around or worked with, they have to travel over an hour and a half, two hours to get to a place that has any work at all. Because if you actually want to live near where the work is, you're going to pay rent so high that you can't afford to exist without seven or eight roommates. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll kind of add in my own perspective as well. You know, I've lived majority in New York City. I'm currently living in Philadelphia and it's, you know, almost a parallel situation. But, you know, we had a hurricane uh, Sandy in New York City a couple of years back. And oh, still... fuck Superstorm Sandy. Look, dude, yeah. I'm going to tell you right now. Trying to be professional. Y'all had a cat three. I'm in Florida, okay? We have fucking hurricane parties where people oh, are really smoking hot and throwing ribs across the boards to each other while chairs are flying across the yard. I'm, I'm, uh, sure, I'm sure you guys are just like, we are used to hurricanes. We can sleep through one. I know. I know. I, I know you Florida boys are. But I, what I was, I was going to make that same comparison in the sense where it's like, there's still plenty of like houses and people that in, in Long Island, in New Jersey, that still are like, dealing with with damage and that's i think will boil down to corrupt local governance than anything else you know as you said foreign money's coming in and the places that get you know rapidly developed or rapidly fixed tend to be those foreign uh, foreign areas you know well i would i would say that plus the added bonus of where the areas were where uh, sandy hit now, it was only a cat three. And to us Florida boys, a cat three ain't shit. You know, we'll yeah. go outside and throw a beer at a cat three and we're happy. Like, but up there where you're at, you know, you guys didn't build with old growth. You guys didn't build with hurricane clips. You guys didn't build uh, with straps on your headers. You guys built with whatever you had at the time. And you didn't build to withstand hurricane force winds because unlike Florida, you don't get them every year. So. Exactly. 
that was a major factor there with substandard construction and a freak weather incident. So right there, we can, we can toss most of that out the window. They just weren't prepared. Um, so, so just ignore the bravado of about three minutes ago. Um, but no, on top of that, yeah, the foreign money coming in, I mean, we can, Oh, it's kind of hard not to name them, but of course, but I mean, we can start naming a couple of people. Absolutely. You know, and I say this because I lived in New York and I very distinctly remember, um, there were certain people in funny hats walking around, um, knocking on every door in, in, you know, parts of parts of Brooklyn, parts of the Bronx, parts of Manhattan, you know, any rundown, you know, building, they would basically attempt to get the families that have been living there and that were, you know, working class, middle class to basically try to sell them the house at a cut rate. Um, and if we're going to go another route, I v- distinctly remember to this day, uh, there's a huge glut of Saudi investment and Chinese investment. Uh, in these high-rise development buildings that are being built up rapidly, all these all these high-rise developments you'll see in cities that are going for like a couple of million each, um, that's all Saudi money, that's all Chinese money, and that's all you know, uh, that's Korean money, and it's it's just these people just coming in and buying up like swathes of of land, and as you've said, not swathes of land, like apartments and things like that, and and condos and things of that sort, and what you just said. All of that has led to the basically the overspeculation of land, um, and in a you know urban environment like uh, like New York or Philadelphia, land is even more at a premium because there isn't much of it to go around. Well, I mean, y'all are y'all are of a different climate and a different method. See, a lot of a lot of the money from the area where you're at came from the area where you're at the area where I'm at. A lot of the money came in from either the military or tourism. So our economy here is shaped very differently. We don't have so much uh, Chinese or Israeli or English or, you know, whoever else's money coming in. We don't really have that much of it. If we do, I don't see very much of it. Uh, We have a lot of Bulgarians coming in. We have a lot of Mexicans coming in. We have a lot of Cubans coming in. Um, there were a lot of, uh, like Ukrainians a couple of years ago, but I mean, they just sort of seem to come in waves. These different people do, uh, through where I'm at. But I mean, the main problems that I see are the banks and the banks in this area, the ones responsible for this because they raise the value of the land artificially. And then they raise the taxes of the land all the way around them. And what we have here is we have an influx of foreigners coming to the beach pushing out the people who previously owned the beach, who push out the people who previously worked in the area near the beach, who push out the people who previously just subsisted in the woods north of there, who push out the people who just went there to retire. And then what you have is that every year, a little bit more of the trash from the cities gets ejected onto us normal woods folk. <laughs> and no, no, I'm serious, dude. Like, no, 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 no I'm chuckling because like, it's... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go on. Go on. I was going to say I, I'm chuckling because from in a more area, I can draw similarities to basically how neighborhoods would get like rapidly developed. And then the prices of the of housing would rise very quickly as a way to basically push the, the poor and the working class and even the middle class out of those areas. So that way the rich people could come in and pay 2000 or 4000 for an apartment that would have cost like six seven eight hundred dollars like uh, a decade ago so that's why i was oh man all right there was a oh shit my phone's getting low hold on right 
Oh, there was a place I used to live a while back. It was called Crestview, Florida. Now, Crestview, Florida, in the early 90s, was basically one of those weird interstate towns in the middle of nowhere where there would be a Texaco and, you know, maybe like a flea market. And then, you know, you pass through and eventually wind up somewhere important like Pensacola or Panama City. Right. But somewhere in the early 90s, we got a Walmart and that town exploded and then it continued to grow and the military bases grew. And about the Bush years, it seemed like Crestview was about hitting its peak. And I remember we just moved back to Crestview and there was a bunch of woods I used to play in as a kid. It was awesome, man. I mean, it really was. It was just woods everywhere around this little small town. Then over the next 10 years, I saw more than half of those woods completely disappear to be miles and miles and miles of these shitty cookie cutter identical houses that weren't built to last a minute longer than the mortgage that we all that we all know are going to be toppled and bulldozed and just completely disappear in 50 years and then people wind up paying three times the total value of the advertised value of the house overall over the course of 30 years and they fail 10 years into the mortgage anywhere five years in the mortgage in the case of the obama years and all these miles and miles and miles of subdivisions and over speculated land wind up being empty abandoned covered with wild animals and homeless people knocking in the windows and shitting in the living room and then we call it progress we call it progress as yep. insane as that sounds we call it fucking progress absolutely absolutely and i've seen that too often you know it's it's interesting how i've started to start to see what true progress is because for a long time i've despised the word progress because it's been used by these neoliberals who as you said basically shove people in these these toxic mortgages you know and like you said doesn't you know supposed to be 30 years doesn't last five ten years especially because you're pushing in subprime um lending subprime buyers into it and then that's not even getting into the, some of the, what the big banks do. I think uh, I read a headline that Wells Fargo has just been forced again to pay, I think, $3.5 billion because of they opened up like 300 fake accounts. So that's, you want to talk about or usury, there it is. <laughs> well, you want to talk about a good one. Here, here's a good example. Okay, when I, was, uh, when I was 16 years old, my dad bought a house. For the first time, he'd ever owned a house ever. It was the first time on a homeowner. He was a veteran, so he had the VA mortgage. He was married to my mom, who was also herself a veteran. So they had the, the VA mortgage on both sides. They did very good. I mean, he was making good money at the time. I wasn't exactly born a rich kid. In fact, I was raised in trailer parks and woods most of my life. So it was weird when we finally actually got money and became part of the middle class. And it was honestly incredible because all the things you could never have as a little kid you could suddenly have in the middle class like nothing crazy nothing crazy we didn't go to horse races or you know get fencing lessons or anything but we definitely had an xbox and pop tarts so yeah uh, so when we finally got there like he he got his mortgage but it was owned by wachovia and they got bought out by wells fargo and then wells fargo uh basically we were behind like one month and then they said that, uh, okay, y'all need to leave or we're calling the sheriff's department. So we moved up north. We went wow. across the other side of the country uh, to where my mom's family was. And we lived up there in Illinois for a little while. All of us did. And uh, Wells Fargo, over the course of the next two years, kept uh, sending my dad a shitload of emails and calling him like eight, nine, ten times a day trying to get payment out of him until eventually they said, look, you can live in the house. Just keep the homeless people out of it. You can live in there rent-free, mortgage-free until we foreclose. Just keep the house from getting any more damage. Damn. And that was after strong-arming us 
and saying, okay, well, you're one month behind, so we're going to call the sheriff's department and get you guys out of there. And then, you know, two years into it later, after not making a seagull payment, after not living there, they're saying, please come back. Please come back. We miss you. And we, like, he tried to negotiate with him for a long time. He tried to negotiate with Wells Fargo saying that, you know, hey, I'll make the payments. You just need to come down on the interest rate because they spiked the interest rate up the last minute after the housing crisis. Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about usury, though. I mean, any culture that practices usury is just basically saying, you owe me money at this rate, no, 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 this rate. Like, what kind of shit is that? Really, that's nothing but an Indian. Yeah. Yeah, it's a a trap. It's, It's completely, like, destructive. It's completely abusive of the situation. Like, that's the kind of kid where if you... If you borrowed a dollar last week for lunch in, in elementary school, he's, he's the guy who next week says, you owe me $5. The next week after that says, you owe me $20. Next week after that says, you owe me $100. Eventually, you're going to go out to the cra- or to the uh, playground, and you're going to whoop this kid's ass and let him know that he's a little bitch for doing that. But you can't do you that, do that as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because as an adult, see, they control the media and they control the government, these same people. And I mean, you've seen this kind of sick, evil shit that they do. Of course. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, let's there's quite a few more interesting figures to talk about politically. And that. Absolutely. But I mean, but like, think about it like this, just even just like going off of your story about you and your dad and Wells Fargo. I don't question that that was kind of, that kind of that must have shook something up in in your family you know because i'm like that sort of thing honestly like it, it's disgusting what happened to you what happened to your family you know uh, i'm reading stories about you know the same thing wells fargo did another bank did or another bank did and it's just you know this is ironically this is how half of our most of our economy is is run nowadays you know it's always just squeezing blood from a stone i call it and it's it's something that has just profound sociological implications you know it's you know our generation most of our generation like i said earlier um myself included we're going to get married later we're going to own homes much later in life um it's it's yeah half of us have been lied to regarding college the other half is just you know working as many jobs as we can to get by you know oh dude i could tell you quite a few times just within the past few years where i've worked you know, three and four jobs, you know, just if you got one full-time job, two part-time jobs and one weekend job, you might be able to just squeeze out enough money to be able to afford the cost of living just for you to squeeze your own ass into a place and then make your vehicle, you make your, uh, cause I had a truck. It was pretty expensive. I had a truck and lots of people have cars and vans and shit, but just make your vehicle payment and then your insurance. And then, you know, you got to have a little bit in savings because whatever vehicle you buy, you're going to have to put three or $4,000 into it in the first year you own it anyway. Right. Yeah. Even though you're paying full price for the goddamn thing and it drops half the value as soon as it gets off the lot. Yeah. As soon as you turn the tires off the lot, a $14,000 car becomes worth $7,000, but you're still paying on a $14,000 loan at 16.5% interest. Yeah. That's how they get you. They don't get you off of buying the car. They get you off the interest off the loan. And it's, it's, and we wonder why, we wonder why millennials are broke. Yeah. And we wonder why more and more millennials as a whole are becoming more disappointed in capitalism. And I hate to sound like one of those rad, quote unquote socialists, which 
oof, I got a whole, I'm going to have a whole episode on the meaning of words. But uh, long story short, in olden days, a socialist just meant you cared about the American worker. Now, apparently, you have to, you know, be some sort of weirdo to be a socialist, which I, I figure that's a media-driven narrative, but I'm me. I'm a little different. Uh, but long story short, this is the sort of thing that turns people off of capitalism because this is what capitalism is. You know, it, it's interest on a, a $14,000 truck it goes to 7000 as soon as you drive it off the lot, you know? That's why the used car business is booming. <laughs> well, I bet, hold on. My phone and my tools are falling all over the damn place right now. Give me okay. just a second. All right. I'm trying to keep my phone on the charger, but Shit is tumbling everywhere. Right. I'm in a crowded space right now. All right. So, to start with that, millennials are getting turned off. Capitalism, absolutely. I understand completely why, but however, I disagree with socialism on the basis of this is not capitalism. Okay. Yeah. This is not. This is monopolism. This is government controlled, created, supported, and protected monopolism. This right. is cronyism. This is not free capitalism. This is not the free market. This is certain people and certain interests protected by law, like insurance. Where the fuck have you ever heard of somebody needing insurance before the modern world on anything? Sure, it's nice to have to have a little stash of money saved by in case a in case a piece of equipment breaks or in case your kitchen catches on fire. It's nice to have a little money stashed by. But where have you ever heard that being legally required and protected by law as it is with car insurance on the road today in the United States? I've almost never heard of that until fairly recently. I'm almost positive that's a fairly recent invention, too. Exactly. So let's consider you said you made the same amount of money today, or at least the same market value for the amount of money you made today. You know, obviously adjusted for inflation going back 100 years, but without the cost of insurance, would you have been better off? Absolutely. Yes. Now, let me tell you about my last, or uh, uh, the truck I had a couple of years ago is my nicest truck ever, man. I miss right. this thing. Uh, 2009 GMC Sierra long bed had nice. a toolbox. It was a white single cab, but you know, I was living out of it for a couple of years, not because yeah. I had to, but because the cost of living was so goddamn high. I said, fuck it. I'm not paying rent anywhere for a place to store my ass when I'm working 70 hours a week. Anyway, yeah. I don't need to pay a thousand dollar, a thousand dollars a month for a fucking sleeping spot when I can just roll out a sleeping bag. Yeah. And I was comfy that way. Actually, Bought a really nice $25 throw blanket from uh, from TJ Maxx, a couple of Walmart pillows, and goddamn, I was happy. Right, yeah, and it but, worked. But uh, anyway, man, is that I was paying $213 a month for the truck, $211 a month for the insurance, $150 a week in gas because it was an eight-cylinder truck. And then on top of that, I was putting $1,000 every three months into the front end of the truck. Wow. For what? For repairs? Well, I mean, first came the ball joints and control arms, and then came the tie rod and came the steering column, and then, you know, I had to do the brakes and then the brakes again, and then I had to do this part. It's just one thing after the other, dude. It's just completely not worth it anymore. At this point, it's cheaper to buy a fucking horse. Like, I don't want to buy another vehicle, but I need to buy another vehicle. Yeah. 
at this point, it's like, why the hell am I even, it's like you, you buy it and then you got to pay to fix it. It costs so much to fix the goddamn thing. It's not even worth having it. I don't want to buy another American truck at this point. This has turned me off. Cause every time I turn the key in a Ford, something breaks on it. Dodge has always got transmission issues and that shit's always expensive to fix. And now Chevy, apparently it's always the front end, something always with the front end. I want to go and buy a Toyota truck right now, which is a crying shame to me. An American who should be happy and proud with American. American engineering, but right now Toyota Tundra is apparently the only truck that doesn't fucking break 30 minutes into driving it. Yep, and that's a, a tragedy. And I hate to say it, a large chunk of our culture, look, all honesty, and just you, based off your truck alone, I can tell you that it's like a lot of it, especially with the, the cost cutting, this this sort of outsourcing culture that we now have, this disposable culture we have in, in our country, in a country. We're both Americans. But we've seen well, I call it built-in obsolescence, man. Exactly. Is what it is. Planned obsolescence. Yep. That's planned exactly obsolescence because they know it's going to break, so they're going to co- they're going to charge you on the cost of the parts. Yep. And if it's if, always if, the cost of the parts, man, I'm telling you that. Always. Look. Okay, when you're only making, when you're only making about three thousand dollars a month, and you're spending about sixteen hundred dollars a month just on the cost of fucking living. Just on just on your rent and utilities and shit, not including cost of the vehicle. And then you have to spot an extra thousand dollars out of nowhere just for some shit, just for the fucking front end or another set of tires or or just something else breaks on the damn thing. At what point are you able to save any money and get out of the hole? And that's what they don't tell you about this is that. And this isn't like I didn't go to college. I didn't get all this student debt like all these other guys do. They got to deal with all kinds of shit with that. Oof, I definitely do. Yep, I definitely do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not in that hole. I went right. to trade school and, and for the trade school I went to and, and the work I did there and, and what I got done, the grades I got and all that, I went to the field with and the first thing I told him is, but can you actually do the job? Well, yeah, look at all this that I got signed up, but can you actually do the job? Yeah. Look at all this. I got signed up, but can you actually do the job? Okay, fine. Give me a fucking rod. Let me weld. And they said, well, that's not going to meet our standards. Then what was the point of going to fucking trade school? You know, pardon my French on that one, forgive my language, but seriously, what's the point of going to pay someone to educate you if the education is worthless? And I got off easy on trade school because it didn't cost shit. I see people who went to law school who are in the same boat with student debt. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know, like our, I hate to say it, we've, in a way, we've both been lied to. Our whole generation has been lied to because your end with trade school, my end and half the generations end with college, because think about it, that's what we were told was, was a good thing. That's what we were told would take us far. You know, trade school was a way to, you know, make money and, you know, build the backbone of this country. And college was seen as a way to, you know, advance, you know, advance your, your life station in life, basically. Um, and, you know, that's, but neither one worked. Yep. Neither, neither one, worked. one worked. Yep. That narrative is rapidly eroding as we in front of our eyes. You know, paradigms are shifting and everything is changing, but what? Neither one worked. And everything they told us about the market, everything they told us about the stock market, everything they told us about real estate, about land, yep. about anything at all. So they didn't teach us anything about civics, but we all saw the fucking infomercial. So none of us know our rights, but all of us know we can make money by flipping land. Yep. Yep. And, and the problem with that is, is that flipping land got us into this problem in the first place. Flipping land got it to where the to the to where the beautiful woods that we used to run around with little kids and go explore, you know, the gullies and and ditches and the roots of the old cypress trees all tangled into each other right above where the brim come up in the rain. You know, that we lost that. We gave that up so we could flip land to people who can't afford it and won't upkeep it. Yep. 
same thing in the cities where we tear down historical um historical diners historical uh, restaurants historical you know things that are like ha- were built into the culture of that city for over 100 years we rip it down and we replace it with a chase atm we rip it down we replace it with a, a condominium made out of sheetrock you know <laughs> and what what long-term value is that other than letting you know that the things you held sacred Are can gone. be torn down and replaced in an instant. Yeah. What value does that hold other than replacing your memory with some weird, foreign, bland design that you see in the same, in the exact same state? Like when they fucking standardized all the Walmarts to where the same Walmart you see in this town is the same Walmart you see in that town is the next one is the next one is the next one. I get the idea of ease of access. But now it's the idea of eliminating individuality to the point that no matter where you are in this country, eventually oh, there's going to be a lot more industries that follow that suit of just turning the same thing into the same exact, same exact design all over the country. At what point does it lose its sense of individuality and simply become a human farm? Yep. Exactly. And look at Walmart today. Yep. I mean, let's let's turn aside the Walmartians. Let's not talk about Shilingua and her like three different kids from from two or three different dads all riding on the end of a fucking Scooty Puff Junior through Walmart. Right? <laughs> let's forget about that and their fucking gravy stick going for the goddamn can of spray cheese. <laughs> let's spray talk about cool how- it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Let's talk about. <laughs> let's talk about. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Walmart, Lord. So, so you look at it seriously. Think about it. Look at Walmart as an open sense of mind. Imagine you're not a human being going through Walmart. Imagine, imagine you're some other being just watching human behavior, just for a minute, and contrast what you see at Walmart with a farm with livestock going up to their little feed troughs, picking out what it is they want to eat. This chunk of slop or that chunk of slop. Yep. It's all the same fucking slop. Yep. The only difference is we don't make the pigs and the horses and the chickens pay for it. At Walmart, they make you pay for it. Yeah. And it pains me and to say it, it. And I hate to say it. You want to talk about the kind of people that go into Walmart. And I, I'm, I'm trying real hard to be like not an asshole, but let's be honest the majority of people that go into walmart you know there's a reason why they have people of walmart pages to poke fun at them you know oh you're goddamn right yeah it exists for a reason Dude, you know <laughs> it, it, it's i used it's, to travel a lot more and i'll tell you it's the exact same in milton as it is in crestview as it is in pensacola as it is in fort walton as it is in destin as it is in santa rosa beach as it is in panama city as it is in defuniac springs as it is in niceville it's the same exact thing all over the state everywhere yeah. i go yeah and it's, <laughs> it's it's an absolute symptom of our modern world man to, to be quite honest and it's 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 everything i see around me is just a symptom of of this 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 sick world we live in this is modern world that we're living in we've ended up with this culture that you know values the worst common denominator you know look at our look at our look at the celebrities from 50 years ago to the celebrities today uh the celebrities 50 years ago, they were, you know, they were proud of their country. They were, you know, they, they, they cared about their country. Maybe they weren't always the, the best of people, but they at least made an effort to be that way. 
you know look at the richest to the poorest every like your average person would wear a suit would make an effort to look decent you know there's none of that nowadays you know nowadays you know a celebrity is called brave if he or she comes out as as gay and i doubt half of those celebrities are gay i'm pretty sure they're just saying that for the for the social media clout you know everything's disposable everything is you know is is everything's just made to break <laughs> as strange as that sounds While there's plenty that can be said in complaint and agreeance, I would have to say that we're going to have to draw the line right about now as to where we consider ourselves acceptable and what's not. And I hate to sound like the eugenicist, but we really should divide what we see of human beings upon a scale of who is and is not most apt. Like, you can look through and see who's not going anywhere in life. You look through a Walmart and in about 10 minutes, I bet you're going to see at least one person who is probably not going anywhere in life. Maybe they're walking around barefoot. Maybe they're twitching. Maybe it's three in the morning and the EBT came through and they're just kind of walking around, you know, shaking their shoulders, rubbing themselves, like just staring at the fucking chips. Like you can guess who is and is not going anywhere in life. And you can see who might have a little bit better chances than that. And those are the ones that you see walking around Bridgeway, like the mental health center, you know, and their moo-moos and shit at 10 in the morning, you know, snacking on some donuts. Um, and you can see the ones a little bit better off than that. These are the ones you might see in trailer parks and shit. Not bad people. Just didn't have much of a go at life. Yeah. But we need to start looking at this and looking at it seriously. There are people who are just not as intelligent as others. Yes. People who are just not as strong as others. Equality is a myth. Of course. Equality is a myth. And when you go through enough places, you're going to see where the inbreeding happens. And you're going to see the cross-eyed mongoloid kids who can't fucking walk in a straight line. And you're going to say, all right, well, these kids probably are never going to contribute to society. He doesn't appear to be able to write his own name at nine years old. So chances are he's just going to subsist off the state. And the best of chances, he's just going to subsist off the state. But that's a subject for a whole nother time. Um, what I'm saying about Walmart in particular is that you get exposed to all these people because Walmart is the cheapest place to go. And money has clearly divided our society among who is most apt and who is least because everything has market value and he is most apt or achieves the most market value. And that's simply the role of capitalist economics, obviously. Monopolism protects that to a point to where he is not he who is not worthy often generates more market value than he who is simply because he who who is not worthy is more apt to appear so. Monotonizing uh, the worst instincts of humanity, you know, you see it in Walmart, technically you see it in the media, yeah. Think about but it. what I mean specifically to that would be the role of a bureaucrat who would appear most able to do the job, but be least able to do so. And we see that in the form of individuals like Bernie Sanders, who hasn't got a fucking clue about economics. <laughs> Not even close. To be Not fair, even do most of them, but well, I see your point. <laughs> but and there's a lot of people who are voting for him who have no idea. And like his, his tax plan is so easy to debunk. Like, yeah, even if your seven forty five dollar uh, an hour ass earns fifteen an hour, if you get taxed fifty nine percent or fifty two percent or whatever it is, you actually take home less than you make now. Like, and that's one way to look at it. That's one way to <clears throat> to show him that. But 
just nobody, I guess they don't understand that shit, whatever. Simple math, really. I mean, whatever. And I mean, you could also blame that on the fault of the American education system, which really deserves a long, long conversation in his own right. And we see that in things like, you know, hey, the mitochondria is a powerhouse to sell. Yeah, but how do I do taxes? Yep. How do I balance the checkbook? What is the difference between yeah. debit and credit? Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I'm 29. I just learned what a budget was like six months ago. That's a fucking problem. Yeah. And then I'll teach you how to schedule an appointment, how to get your own insurance on like insurance. Who the fuck would have thought we need insurance for as much shit as we need insurance for? Yeah. Health insurance. I mean, that's a scam in and of itself. But I mean, did you ever get even one hour of high school class saying how to get insurance? No. You know, it's crazy. I never, exactly. I never even, I never even got a, uh, a class on how to, you know, make a resume. I never got a class on how to sell yourself in interviews. I had to literally learn all that stuff on my own, you know? Yeah. And then they charge you for that. And it's like, well, yeah, um, I'll give you an example. Um, cause it's basically the same kind of catch, catch me, fuck me that, uh, I saw in 2009 yeah. when after I'd gone to trade school for the first time and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to go into the field as well. Or, and they're like, okay, well, you know, we need somebody who's got eight years of experience, who's been doing this every day, who can do a 6G pipe weld on stainless steel. We're willing to pay $12 an hour, which I didn't know at the time, but that was a major, major problem. Like that guy, that same exact job is worth $45 an hour in Pennsylvania. And it was worth 12 here. So that'll show you just how insane that is in and of itself. But uh, anyway, they said, in order to start for an entry-level position at $12 an hour, you needed eight to 10 years of experience. And there was a lot of other ones that saw, like just Aerotech Mechanic or Tool. Uh, one of them was, oh, God, I can't remember the name, but it was like basically a gopher, a guy who would clean and wash tools for an airplane mechanic, and uh, the job was worth like eight twenty-five an hour in 2009, but you needed four to six years of experience just to get in. And it's like there was a bunch of entry-level jobs, like really, really good trade jobs, which when the economy recovered would be worth more money, but you could only get for entry-level jobs if you already had years of experience. Yeah, I've seen that exact same thing. I'll never forget before I got the current job I have now, I was going on job sites, and I kid you not, administrative work. There were plenty of places with administrative work, like, you know, filing papers, making phone calls, like 10 bucks an hour, but they wanted you to have a bachelor's degree. And I, I just sat there and laughed, and I'm just like, you know, it's ridiculous, you know? It's, 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 you know, I, you and I are drawing parallels to, to different experiences, but either way, it just speaks volumes about the society we live in that, you know, there's this, I mean, this constant catch I mean, How are you supposed, how are you supposed to get experience without experience? Yeah. You need experience to get experience. Yep. What kind of shit is this? Is Marklar Marklar? What are we looking at? What are we talking about here? Yeah, and it's, this entry, is it's entry level. You're supposed to, that's the way you're supposed to get your foot in the door. If you need experience to get into entry level, then it's not an entry level job. It, it's something different. Well, what do boomers get? I guarantee you they didn't get that goddamn shit. Nope. Nope. They did not. Um, I, I, you know, it's the same type of people that tell you, oh, um, I worked and I went to school. Yeah, except you didn't have to work full time and go to school full time to try to make ends meet, you know? You could work a part of the You couldn't college. afford without two extra roommates and you still went in the hole somehow. Yep. Yep. 
You owned your own yeah. house when you, by the time you were 25. They gave you great loans and you had a good enough job to pay for it. I'm, you know, renting a studio. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know what I mean? You know, the only people that I've seen who actually own their own house by 25 today, the only people I've seen like that, I know two of them. One guy, his dad died and left him a house. Yep. And the other guy won a medical malpractice suit because they left two scalpels in his kidneys. Jesus. And that's it. Yeah. That's fucking it. <laughs> yeah. That speaks volumes. You know, because think about it. You, the people are saying, you know, oh, our generation is fine because we can, we, we now have $200 smartphones or we have this and this technology. Fuck that. I'd rather give it all back for what the boomers had. Honestly, <laughs> let me give me the old school flip phones. I'm fine with that. They're pushing you know all what? these things on us that they think we need. In reality, we don't. We just want peace, land, and bread. That's really what it boils down to. We just want to yeah, raise families. You know, just it's not like that. What it is is that we're like think about it like the Matrix. Remember when Neo was in that pod and he was hooked up to all that different shit? Yep. They were extracting energy from him like a battery. Yeah. Think about your tax dollars like that. Like, think about it seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, your cost of living has gone up. So there's a little bit more sucked out of you. And then you got, you know, your cost of food's gone up. So that's a little bit more sucked out of you. Do you smoke cigarettes? I do. That's a little bit more sucked out of you. And then you got your cost of gas. Then you got your insurance. Then you got, you got health insurance. You got diesel. You got vision. Guess what? That's a little bit more sucked out. Are you really living in a place? Are you renting in a place? Do you buy a place? Well, guess what? Taxes, inspections, permits. Are you going to make any changes to the place? You got to make any repairs to the place a little bit more sucked out and meanwhile you're working for a job that may or may not pay the bills on any of this shit so you may or may not be sub renting out rooms in your house for who knows what and you're just trying the best you can and somehow still going in the hole on two incomes and you still got your side gig trying to kick off where is the limit where does it end where does it end where does it end? You are being, we are all being sucked dry like farm animals, like Neo hooked up in the pod. But each one of those is one more of a little sucker fish just drawing a little bit more blood that you work for, that you sell your life for one hour at a time. I know what I make per hour. It's 17 an hour. It's more than a lot of my peers, but it's not a whole lot in the grand scheme of things, especially when you divide it among the number of kids I have. Right. Like, <clears throat> um, And that's not enough. Not for here. Yeah. But that's the best I got right now. If I if I go to an hour south to work at a job that's only going to be there for like the next three or four weeks, tops. Other than that, I'm back to like twelve dollars an hour. Can you raise a family on twelve dollars an hour? Nope. I don't know how much you make right now. I, I I make that exact same amount. I make twelve an hour. I would I cannot I would not be able to raise a family on that. Part of why I'm going to college is the faint hope that I can, you know kick that income up a couple of notches you know and it's not even oh i want to be rich you know being rich eh, maybe that'd be nice but i'd rather be comfortable i'd rather be living well enough that i wouldn't need to worry about where you know eating off of rice and pasta for the next two weeks you know i you know where i'd be able to raise a family and i mean really raise a family and really uh be able to dude i hope you pick a good major i really do because i've seen a lot of people get fucked that way absolutely yeah i I picked psychology and you know strangely enough the only thing for me is to go away my granddad did pretty good with psychology yeah yeah strangely enough it was uh jordan of all people it was jordan peterson who partially inspired me to jump into psychology i mean i was always i was always 
interested in that sort of thing because I always want to know how people think and why they thought the way that they did, which is part of why I have this podcast. Um, but, you know, I think he was kind of the catalyst there. He was kind of the guy that's like, you know what? Clean your own room. Make your own life. I wasn't the first one to say that, but he has a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, stood up for what he believed Especially in and stood that. against uh, all these neoliberals. So I can always respect them. Yeah. My old lady's got one of his books. I haven't read it, but it's up there somewhere. I have to get it out sometime. Yeah. It's interesting. I was watching what? a uh, I was watching a Tucker Carlson video uh, a little earlier on lunch, and uh, he was talking about how uh, I shared it on my Facebook. He's talking about how uh, a lot of the U.S. is being bought up by China, you know, and how a lot of the fentanyl that's coming in, you know, especially in the Northeast. Is coming through through the mail from China. You know. See, I didn't know about the fentanyl, but I knew about them buying up land. And yeah. it's not the first to be said about that. In fact, I got something to say about that about Africa and Obama. But we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, let me find an ashtray real quick. Sure. All right. So the Chinese fentanyl, tell me about that. What's going on there? Okay. So from what I've pieced together, long story short, the, uh, basically I live in Philadelphia. There's a pretty, there's a neighborhood that's fairly well known for, you know, you know, heroin use and things like that, opioid abuse and things like that. It's like mini Ohio basically. Um, and recently there has been traces of medical level fentanyl in that, you know, in the people that are ODing. And um, and this is all like, you know, public record in the newspaper and uh, Epoch Times, Philadelphia Inquirer, news, like regular papers like that. And, um, you know, they found medical grade level fentanyl and then they're starting to trace it back and basically saying it's all coming in through the postal service from China. All this fentanyl, all these things like that is coming in via China. And uh, I did hear a rumor that there's been more pharmaceutical companies from China that have like kind of basically taken over parts of uh, the U S pharmaceutical system. I have to try to track that down, but that's just a rumor that I've heard. Wouldn't surprise me though. Now to that, I would say that I honestly have not heard very much about the Chinese pharmaceutical companies going in. I know China, uh, China's expansionist policy has covered Lots and lots and lots of areas of U.S. land. For instance, yes. uh, something they got into back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they got into a little bit of trouble for this, uh, was they're buying up U.S. land from cattle farmers and just doing nothing with it, just making sure that we couldn't do anything with it. Um, so that was one problem that uh, that we had with the Chinese. But, for instance, like uh, the stimulus money that, that Obama borrowed from China. Oh, wow. I didn't know that part. Yeah, one of the deals that he gave them was all U.S. seaports. All of them. Oh, boy. There's another country that did the same thing. That country is called Somalia. They defaulted on that debt. China owns all Somali seaports. Wow. And they're colonizing Somalia. But guess what Somalia did in the last three years? They emptied Somalia by sending Somalis to Europe and Maine. And Minnesota. Huge in Minnesota. And Minnesota. 
and France and Germany and England. They emptied the third world and then filled it with Chinese. Yep. I want you to note the process there. Everybody bitched about them emptying third world into Europe. They filled it with Chinese. They emptied the third world right before the Chinese moved in. Yeah. That's insane. That's chess. Like, yeah, that's, that's, you know, colonization. That's the very thing that they criticize Europeans for to this day. That's colonization, but that's, I mean, that's, what do you call that? That's displacing the people of an entire nation, throwing them into an alien culture. They don't, they don't like, they don't appreciate, they straight go, straight up go to war with destroying that host culture, absolutely obliterating those countries, France, Germany, Sweden, England. They look nothing like they used to. Yeah, They're uh, gone, man. They're gone. They are. Absolutely, they are. And the majority of them and, just come in as what? Cheap labor. What, what do they get used in? You know, a whole swarm of Somalis, a whole swarm of Africans, a whole swarm of, you know, different people from those displaced countries. It's exploitation. They come here, they, or they come here, they come to Europe. They get exploited as cheap labor, you know? That's why, you know, we've had a flood of, you know, people from different cultures for decades now. Cheap labor. That's, and that's cycling back to the original issue. When cheap labor comes in like that by the millions, it drives the wages down and causes them to stagnate to where the, nobody can afford the cost of living. So basically, it just creates a circular argument where people who vote for these policies, these liberals just continually fuck themselves and the rest of us by approving of this millions and millions and millions of third world foreigners who absolutely despise our culture, yeah. who, who form these rape gangs who go around and destroy our women. Yeah. Like it, and, and we're not we, allowed to say won't. anything about that, at least in England. You know, 50 years ago, if somebody, if just one person tried this shit, they'd string him up and have him drawn and quartered. Same with the mafia I don't know about in Brooklyn. North. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about up north, but down here in the south, if someone went around wa- uh, raping women, you cut his dick off and hang him. No, there, there'd, be a, there'd, be, there'd be a missing persons file on that guy in, uh, in New York and Philadelphia, especially in the mafia-controlled areas. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> take, they'd yeah. be saying, take care of him. Yeah, He's sleeping with the fishes. And it's, it's like everything, yeah, is, everything is just flipped around. Crazy. Yeah, y'all got concrete shoes up there, did you? What? Y'all had concrete shoes <laughs> up there, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did for a while. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have that. We had gator bait. But yeah, well, that's just as bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, and it's, you know, even if you want to talk about, like, it from a purely humanitarian perspective, you're displacing, like you said, displacing those people in Africa, desti- making them destined to come to Europe and come to America as literal cheap labor. That, that's all they are. Just, just cattle, you know, to these these neoliberals who use them as nannies and servants and, and maids and just just exploit them, you know. Well, not just that, but you look at the main labor pool, even for jobs like Walmart or for construction. I mean, in places like that, uh, here we go. For instance, one city that I'm nearby is Pensacola. Yeah, I'm I'm nearby to a couple cities in Destin. You can you can be a trim carpenter for twenty one fifty an hour. If you uh, if you bring your own truck and your own tools, or at least most of the tools you need, trim carpentry sometimes goes into some exotic areas. But you know, for the most part, you bring what you need, and, and you're good. In Pensacola, the same job that was worth twenty one fifty in Destin, about an hour and a half away, is worth thirteen fifty an hour. Damn. And the cost of living is higher in Pensacola than it is in Destin. Wow. That's wild. 
just just that's a contrast it's a complete and utter contrast between the two an hour and a half away yeah like literally like spitting distance yeah yeah so that's so when foreigners come in like that by the millions and they cause the wages to stagnate in a certain area and the denser the area is the longer the stagnation lasts and what you see there is is that the more foreigners there are there the more the wages stagnate the more likely it is that the common man tries to get by on slave wages, yep. slave wages. And I mean that in the sense that your wage is no longer considered a dollar, a dollar value. Consider it by an hour value. How many hours of your life did you give away for that milk carton or that gallon of gas or that pack of cigarettes? How many hours of your life did you give away yeah. for that light bill? Yeah. Think of it like that. When the hours of your life you give away, the total value of it does not reach enough to subsist you beyond simple housing yep. and almost enough to eat through the week. Are you not living like a slave? Are you not a slave? That sounds about like that. That's why millennials like socialism. They're already living in a prison without the amenities. Yeah. The problem with that is they want the rest of us to live in a prison too. Well, I'm a millennial. I'm 29. I don't want to live in a fucking prison. I want to see our money worth something. I want to see our people not crippled by usury. I want to see our populace not, uh, not demoralized by seeing our culture continually eroded. I'd like to see foreigners who hate us not moved in here by the millions. I'd like to see people my age able to support a family because historically a 29 year old should be able to support a fucking family. Yeah. And I agree with everything you've just said. And I note the irony that we're, you know, we're talking about socialism for a brief second, because in 1908, it, uh, there's, a little, there's a literal socialist convention, and they've made a manifesto that basically spoke out against this mass immigration. And I'm going to paraphrase what they said. They said that um, we oppose the mass importation of foreigners, foreign labor who would work to undercut the wages of the American worker. That's what real socialism is. Real socialism is everything you've just described. But the reason I said words are powerful and words are necessary is because, is because they've twisted the words around. Think about it. You and I hate the word progress because it's been twisted around to something perverted and you know horrifying. You despise the word socialism because all you see of it is these neoliberal, you know, limousine riding dips, dipshits that, that, you know, want to import cheap labor by the millions just to press down the wages so they can pay their nanny a little cheaper. That's what you're seeing today. You know, my problem with that, what's that? Because like historically, Socialism, in one form or another, has never fared well for the culture that has tried to implement it. And how many cultures have fallen via capitalist usury? A few. Quite a few. Not arguing that either. Exactly. What I would argue here is that a new form must be achieved. Absolutely. Both. Both are guesses at an age-old problem, and they're better guesses than the ones before them, sure. 
but a new guess must be attempted. A new way needs to be found. Now, I don't entirely know what the new way might be, but I do know a lot of problems could be solved with our energy crisis and whether or not we believe in climate change. And I personally don't believe in climate change. The fucking math doesn't add up, but that's neither here nor there. Let's imagine for a moment that the energy crisis could be solved at least on a residential level. Right. Each home could have its own independent power system the way it has its own independent water heater and its own independent fridge and its own independent air conditioning system. It could have its own independent power system. Let's imagine that was a thing for a minute. What energy needs would, be, would need to be met that could not be met by this system? Things like fuel, obviously, Automotive, anything that required transportation, anything required going anywhere, couldn't be met by this. But let's look at some other ones. If this could be implemented for a house, it could be, it could be implemented on a larger scale for an airport or for a stadium or for a school. Indeed. What? new government system do you think because i think really the energy crisis will be solved this generation if not within the next couple years i think we're close and i personally think i'm close on something i'm working on right but that's something we'll talk about later on down the road when i've got a working model in hand definitely definitely but i think the energy crisis will be solved soon and i think from that we can come up with a new system the changes are the way we manage our economy and the way we manage our people and the way we manage our land and the way we manage our enemies. Indeed. What kind of new technology, what kind of new technology could be created for our military if we had unlimited access to energy? A lot. What kind of new laser technology, what kind of new uh, direct energy weapons? Look up that name sometime. I feel like I've heard that (laughs) name before. Yeah, yeah. What kind of, yeah. The energy crisis will be solved soon. Absolutely. So what kind of new government system do you think we would have? Probably something different. Well, throw me out some theories. I'm interested to hear that one because I honestly think we're going to find a solution to that quicker than we find a solution to capitalism versus socialism because everybody's going to find something they don't like about either one. Everybody's going to find something they like about both of them, but nobody's going to find something they like about merging both of them. Definitely. Give me one moment. I'm about to hit the limit on this podcast. Uh, I'm going to get into a part two. Give me one second. Yeah, do you think, man? Cool. Hello, hello. All right, so part two. Hello, hello. So I think right before we cut off on the last one, uh, you mentioned what sort of a new system would would develop. Um, I think especially if you made free energy or free clear energy available, the military would most assuredly get involved. So perhaps more of a stratocracy. Uh, Maybe the military kind of takes more direct control over, over these things. They've got the greatest infrastructure and probably something it's you know that would be something that everybody could agree on socialists and uh, capitalists alike 
Um, well, I'm going to be first off right here, and this is for something everybody, every single person who might hear this, military, police, government, individuals, whatever you want. This energy system, when I finish it, when I put it together, is going to be for sale. I'm not walking out of this a pauper. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to feed my family. Absolutely. And you deserve to. If you develop a system and it works the way you say it does, you deserve everything that this country can give you. And my idea is that I can make an independent unit for every home in America, for every business in America, for every building in America, whatever that building, business, or home might be. If one can be made for vehicles, awesome. If for tools, even better. If for computers, awesome. But right now, just one to power a house. If anybody wants to buy this system and if they're hearing this podcast, Franco, I'm sorry. I know I'm overriding your advertising here, but uh, <laughs> when this idea is complete, when this system's complete, I want to change the world. Of course, as you should. And that's the thing. You and I have known each other for a couple of years. I know you're a man of many talents. I know you come off as a humble carpenter, um, but you're a lot smarter than, you know, some would some would think um and i have every confidence that you'll be able to do this all honesty and like i said if uh you build the system and it works to say it works the way you say it does you deserve everything our country can give you 100 percent. well first off if i build the system the first thing i'm gonna do is start giving out freebies i'm gonna make one big enough to power your fucking house whatever you've got at the time hopefully you've got a house of your own if not your landlord gets a freebie and you can tell the world about it on your podcast absolutely <laughs> that'd be a great way to go that'd be a good way to go yeah <laughs> hey you know what bill gates did when he started what's that he gave his software out for free all over the place anybody who'd carry it mm. as long as they'd carry it yep and the next time they came out with a new model they had to buy software from him yep and you know what uh I think it was Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. I don't remember which one said it, but uh, somebody asked them how they feel about piracy. And they said, I'd rather they be stealing my software than buying his. Uh, I feel like that was Jobs, maybe. I don't remember which one it was, but uh, it was a good point. Definitely was a good point, yeah. And if nothing else, you at least get, you know, um, why do you think all the content is free uh, that you see out there in the internet and stuff like that? Because that way you stick with it. That way you keep on going with it, you know? Why are we both on Facebook? Free social networking. <laughs> we'll keep going with, it, with all the updates. <laughs> uh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. That and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking out over my workshop right now and, you know, ain't much. And tomorrow morning, like it's uh, where I'm at, it's 12, 11 a.m. And I know at 8 a.m. I got to be over at the neighbor's house loading up all the shit that I'm going to stuff in this workshop. And at some point tonight, I got to finish the fucking roof on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a start. Start, man. Oh, man. That's what matters. You know, it's anything I can get right now. Like, I just got a, uh, it was a 12 inch piling. It's one of them big fuckers from down on the beach. We drive down into the sand. Like, uh, the way they build houses down here is like right on the beach. They drive down a shitload of pilings in the sand and just build, uh, build like two by 12 or LVL or LVL footers running across all those. And the floor trusses are two by 12s or two by 10s or whatever on top of those. And then, you know, the actual floor. Like, they build, kind of weird down here everything's on fucking stilts down in the water but anyway some of these pilings are left over so i finally got one for an anvil stump and i got my workshop up it's all kind of lash pole because it's fucking dirt cheap the cost of gas and a chainsaw yep. and uh 
wine and shit. So I'm going for the cheapest thing I can get right now, as long as I can just fucking do something. Because when this job rolls up that I'm on right now, the next time I can go to work for this company would be down in Mexico Beach. And I don't want to go camp two and a half hours away from, you know, my family. Yeah, of course. I'm trying to get my shop up and running. It's just... It's nice because I finally get all this shit from the neighbors. Some of it's worth some money. Some of it's great in the shop. Some of it's going to storage. Some of it's going to my father-in-law's smokehouse because that's how I'm building the shop on his land is this fucking smokehouse. Well, you know, he's getting the hookup. Right, yeah. He's definitely getting a hookup. And you know what? You, you, that's the one thing I've learned in my life more and more, especially in recent years. You work with whatever you have. You work with whatever you have until you can get better, and then you keep advancing, you keep moving, you keep pushing on, you know? And, uh, yeah. Like I said, man. Yeah, I mean, times that's exactly how it goes. You just keep going and going and going and going. Like, uh, you know, I'm gonna give some. I'm gonna give my old lady some money here in a minute. Have her look at some websites, see if she can give me this fucking warp drive saw. Because right now I'm making seventeen dollars an hour as a cut man. You know, I got all my tools stolen a couple of years. Uh, like, oh god, no, it was like July or August of, uh, of last year. You know, I got all my tools stolen. I went from fifteen to eighteen carpenter down to $12 an hour general labor again because I had no fucking tools yeah and uh like no get this saw and I'm pretty much guaranteed anywhere I go $15 an hour now just because I bring my own saw yeah so like that's that's just one example like there's there's things like that for everybody's life like for me it's tools like that you know a saw a hammer uh uh you know, a tape measure, a better tool bag, a bucket to carry all your shit in, you know, things like that for me. But for a guy like you, it might be, you know, a better microphone or, uh, you know, a white noise filter, or maybe you hire a guy like me to put soundproof walls in one of your bedrooms and like a spare bedroom in your house. So you have a recording studio, you know, some shit like that, Absolutely. but there are always things where you can improve your circumstances. You can improve your surroundings. And those are the things you can focus on. And uh, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, there's always something you can improve and something you can uh, you can hone in on, something you can repair, something you can do better on. Like even just working out, like just even if all you've got is fucking resistance bands. Well, I can think of about 13 different exercises you can do for your back and your legs with just resistance bands. So, I mean, that's one thing. Another thing is like even if you got nothing, you got absolutely nothing. You can always do push-ups. What's that? You can always do push-ups. <laughs> well, if you got nothing, you got no food. Right. So what you can do if you got nothing is you go find something hard out there and you go find a plant and you chisel it so you break something uh, hard against something harder until you got something with an edge. You cut that plant and you strip them fibers, you make some rope, you take that something hard, you break it to something thinner and you make your fucking trap, kill something. It might take you 12 hours to do all that shit. But that's still something you can improve on. Exactly. How bad do you want it? Yeah. And that's something our generation really needs to hear is that a lot of them, they just give up if they don't get instant gratification. And it really, it's really kind of sad to see. It's like they really have been reduced to the level of farm animals. Oh, this isn't what I like. Let's go sniff this bin. Like, that's one way to look at it. But really, how bad do you want it? Yeah. Like these incels, you know, you see them on the internet, these incels whining about how no women want them. Well, dude, you don't look bad. You're not dirt poor. What the fuck is your problem? Are you just whining because you didn't get, you know, you, she didn't fucking pull her panties down the first time you said hello to her? What is your fucking problem? Like, it is not hard. 
especially in this society. Hell, we're in, we're living in the world of the deregulated sexual marketplace. All you got to do is talk to a girl for about 45 minutes, some of these tourist girls, buy them two or three drinks, and boom, you're good. Like, what is this shit? What are they whining about? What are they crying about? <laughs> I, I mean, I think that that's part of the problem of the deregulated sexual marketplace. I think that... You know, and this is going to be a whole other episode for sure, and probably a controversial one. But you know, to boil it down very rapidly, we're getting into a full series now. What's that? Yeah, we're getting into serious topics now. Um, so to boil it down rapidly, um, I think incels are a side effect of our deregulated sexual culture. Um, I think that you know, with the deregulated sexual culture, it's not oh, you know, every uh, guy can get a girl if he just tries and things like that. It's more of girls will immediately go for the top twenty percent of guys and the majority like uh, top 40 percent of guys and then 60 percent of guys are just left with like nothing you know <laughs> all right so you're telling me i'm on the top 20 percent of guys i'm not <laughs> going to tell you you're wrong but that's kind of an assumption i guess <laughs> <laughs> no but when it comes to the sexual marketplace i mean because like, i mean it's like <laughs> look i i not to b- brag or sound like an asshole you know i yeah I'm, i don't make very much money i'm not you know <laughs> i'm not a whole you know bmw driving man but you know it's I've, I've pulled some tail for sure. And uh, look, I'm not a rich man either, but I'm going to tell you right now, I had better luck when I was homeless than I ever did living in a place. That should tell you something. Oh, yeah. If you're going to tell me my sexual market value went up because I was fucking homeless, I'm going to tell you something's wrong with your goddamn brain. <laughs> truth here. No, of course, of course. You know, I mean, I. <laughs> I think desperation is the biggest spice, but you know that's just me. <laughs> I, I, I shit you not. I had one of those moments. I think when I was, you know, in the bad days. I think I, I think I pulled some tail while I was homeless. You know, I don't really tell too many people that, but it was a one-time thing. It was kind of funny, you know. Most of my focus was just on survival, though. But that helped me survive. <laughs> oh God, dude! I was homeless for like uh, for like 19 months this last time around. I was living in my truck, right? But I was traveling all over the place. You know, I'd be working 70, 80 hours a fucking week, right? But sometimes when I actually had a fucking day off, I'd have like I'd have like eight, nine hundred dollars, fucking sometimes twelve or sixteen hundred dollars in my pocket because I hadn't fucking done anything but work for two or three weeks. And uh, you know, I'd just have money in my pockets. I'd go, you know, run up two hundred dollar bar tabs, buy six hundred dollars of coke. Fucking get three girls <clears throat> to come home with me to a fucking hotel, you know, take a limo all the way up to nowhere to Uniac Springs to the fucking Regency Inn, right? This shitty two-star hotel. Oh, and just fucking man. party all night, right? Oh, but I'd just be homeless. Let me pull with shit like that off. I mean, well, technically you had you had a you had a truck, but um <laughs> no, that's some ingenuity though. I really was. That's that's kind of cool. <laughs> that's <mean>. shit. <laughs> no, I mean, but I I, I I did that. I think I did mine. I was staying. Uh, I forgot where I was staying. I think I was couch surfing at the time, and uh, you know, I strangely enough, I met this chick off a dating site, and I didn't, you know, I didn't tell her things were that bad. You know, I'm sure she may have guessed. You know, women have that weirdo intuition smell, but you know, it was what it was until it wasn't. You know, and moved on after that you know like i said i was focused on survival but that did help me survive <laughs> <clears throat> yeah man some days all you need is that uh, but yeah i mean it's 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 interesting the way men and women operate nowadays you know and it's interestingly enough don't let the little head out think the big one not at all never that never that that's also why i don't shit where i eat you know i, I try very hard to not you know um 
Yeah, because I heard of people like going out and trying to fuck their coworkers and stuff like that. I don't do that because it's like, nah, ain't worth it. <laughs> no matter how hot she uh, is, she's now, not hold worth on. the job. Uh, okay, you gonna give me a start? Now hold on. I was working on Graydon Beach, right? I was working okay. for this company, right. Southern Value Engineering, and we were remodeling an AJ's down there, and we were we were changing it out for. Uh, Oh God! It used to be something, some Panera, Pantera, Pandora, Panda. No, 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 not not Panera bread. It was something else, Pandora, Panda, something, something like that. Anyway, we're turning into an AJ's. It's like a little beach bar, right? And I'm not going to say the name of this waitress over the airways because she might get offended. And frankly, she's really done nothing wrong to me to deserve, you know, being named. But she was a waitress. I was one of the carpenters on the crew. Some fraternization happened. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I feel it was worth it. Um, even though I feel a little ripped off about it. What? Why? She steal your money? <laughs> Not necessarily. You ever meet somebody who used to have an opioid problem and you see a wonderful shape to them and like... You know, you're not a total stranger walking in Brabham. You know, you're in your fucking bedroom, whatever, and you see this wonderful shape to her ass. You go to grab it, and it's just like a cloud of skin. Like there's no ass there anymore. It's like there's all just loose skin in the shape of a wonderful ass, but it's it's not an ass. That sounds like I walked into a zombie film. (laughs) It's like your fucking bill problem has accidentally landed you a wonderful ass, but it's not your ass. (laughs) Something's wrong here. Something's fucking wrong here. <laughs> God lord. <laughs> so let's discuss the opioid crisis for a minute. Oh lord, that, yeah, that's that's going to be a that's a that's a nasty mess. <laughs> <sighs> Since we're going to swing into the opioid crisis, good lord. I I live in Philadelphia, which has a neighborhood that is legitimately known for that shit, and it's kind of sad. And then I remember Ohio, where it's even worse. <laughs> Man, and to think that all came about because Purdue Pharma decided to make some extra money by saying their heavily addictive painkillers was not addictive. I remember the Obama years when you could walk in like, let me give you three examples. Right. Okay, so one time I accidentally ran a skill saw through my pinky. Oof. And they gave me a lower tab, slapped me on the ass, and sent me home. One time I went in with the common cold. And they gave me a lower tab, slapped me on the ass, and sent me home. Damn, lower tabs are some, some heavy shit. Not necessarily. But for the common <laughs> cold, it is. In, <laughs> one time I went in with a headache. And they gave me some lower tab, slapped me on the ass, and sent me home. I'm sensing a pattern there. <laughs> One time I went in with a kidney stone. <laughs> Dang it. They gave me some Dilaudid. I could still sit up and speak. So they gave me some some more Dilaudid and gave me some uh, some Dilaudid in pill form and some Percocet in pill form and some antibiotics, slapped me on the ass and sent me home. <sighs> One time I ran my finger into a table saw and they gave me some Lortam, slapped me on the ass and sent me home. So we can agree that Florida doctors are apparently pill mills. <laughs> One time I sliced my thumb open with a razor. 
Wrapped the shit in a maxi pad and some electrical tape I found under the sink in the bathroom of the place I was remodeling. <laughs> You're like, well, tabloids are for one thing. Little... <laughs> <laughs> They're absorbent. I got to give them that. Because <laughs> I laid that shit wide open. I still got the scar to this day. It's pretty bad. Oh, God. <laughs> and that was like four years ago. Right, right. But uh, anyway, went to the hospital. They gave me some more tabs. Slapped me on the ass. ass stand you on your way. Oh man! Dude, I swear, <laughs> for like ten years, if you went into the hospital for anything, they give you fucking large. Jesus, that explains a lot. <laughs> that explains how damn right. Everybody's fucking taking the day. Oh god! Oh no! Fucking wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, oh my god! It's no wonder. That's that's how we got to this mess. Holy politicians are just like, oh, what's, we have an opioid crisis. It's a horrible thing. Yeah, because every doctor from between between Philly and Florida is a pill mill. You're not fucking wrong, though. Yeah, no, it is. It's hilarious, but it's fucking wrong. Oh man. <laughs> you, and you and I have just fucked up senses of humor. That's really what this is. <laughs> oh, you gotta fucking call it, you call it. Oh, man. All right, let's let's bind it back. <laughs> Uh, let's wind that back. Um, <laughs> is there... <laughs> right, right, come on, come on. <laughs> oh my god! All right. So, I'm back... sorry. it's okay. It's all good. It's all good. You need a minute? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. You're good. Okay. Cool. Cool. Let's let's. Let's pull back a little bit, a little bit. Um, so I, it's interesting that that's pretty much the pattern that it happened again and again and again, um, because basically we find out Purdue Pharma led by a certain kind of people and the other people led by a certain kind of people, uh, long story short, are, uh, yeah, Purdue Pharma, good old pharmaceuticals. It's crazy. It's a mess. <clears throat> well, they throw out something addictive to every Tom, Dick, and Stanley. Everyone, so every time someone's got everything from a headache to a head cold to a kidney stone to a broken foot to a car accident to who knows what. Yep. And then wonder why everyone's addicted and start penalizing everyone for being fucking addicted. Well, yeah. guess what, buddy? If you give the mouse a cookie, motherfucker. <laughs> they want more cookie. Yeah, well, you tell me what else to work for someone who's uh let's 
Let's talk for a minute about the single mother who's got too many kids living in an apartment complex where you can barely fit one person and a cat trying to get by on a job that doesn't quite pay the bills and trying to keep interchangeable men to come in and help support her and her kids and her food stamps and shit ain't quite covering it. That girl could probably use a fucking pill every now and then just to help her chill out. And that's the problem is that these things are good for that. Yeah. The problem with a lot of that is not taking it one time and then, you know, not needing it anymore. It's, you don't know when to fold them, if you will. You know, and I I say that because those were designed that way, you know. Designed that way. On purpose. Pretty much. I mean, that just that stretches back to the Vietnam War, if you're willing to cover that uh, that subject entirely. Is that yeah, the poppy fields were a major part of the process. Absolutely. And then you look at the Afghan War, and it's basically the exact same thing. And it's like this time around, like remember back when heroin came out, you start looking. I mean, I know it's before you or my time, but. Uh, you start looking back and it's like heroin came over and kicked everyone's ass in Europe and then it kicked everyone's ass over here and then crack kicked everyone's ass over here and then meth kicked everyone's ass over here and lo- oh look heroin's back it's like oh fuck it Afghan war was right before a goddamn meth crisis kicked up and it's like well for a while there you would like you never hear that shit ever and then suddenly oh look another meth lab at McDonald's and then a 12 year old kid with a meth lab in his bedroom gets busted and then somebody with a meth lab in their truck in the Winn-Dixie parking lot or somebody with a meth lab in their RV in the Walmart parking lot or some shit like that. And then right after that comes the opioid crisis. Like this seems like it's being engineered, like it's coming in waves and it's coming on purpose. Absolutely. It's being engineered and it's done to achieve some kind of result. And the result is not only a demoralized populace and a bunch of broken families and a bunch of increased tax slaves and debt slaves, but, what else is being achieved? What's being done to the human genome from this process? What's being done to the gene pool? What's who's being thinned out? Who's overbreeding? What's exactly. going on here? And that's the question that nobody's asking is what is this doing to human DNA? Yeah. Most people, the question wouldn't even occur to them. Honestly, I never really thought about it until just now, until what you just told me, you know, and it's it's a very it's it's the same question with the the chemicals in the food and the water you know or the 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 fact that most of the vegetables and fruits we eat are now dumped with pesticides or genetically modified now that's something that nobody really talks about genetically modified foods you know genetically modified organisms where they take a bacteria or they take a protein from a bacteria and something from a salmon and they mix it together with aborted stem cells and they stuff it in a fucking tomato to where it can bounce off a wall without busting or breaking and bounce back to you twice and still be good and keep good for two years and you can cover the shit over in pesticides well something i'd like to talk about touching on gmo for a minute i'd like to get over to geoengineering how did monsanto know to uh know to make plants that were aluminum resistant. Exactly. Aluminum resistant. How did they know to make place? plants that were aluminum resistant? What is being sprayed in the air? Because I've heard a lot of theories about aluminum, barium, and strontium, and I've seen a lot of shit that don't quite add up from the planes, and I've seen a lot of weather patterns that don't quite add up for times of the year, and, and weather patterns that normally happen in this area. And I've seen a lot of things that just don't quite make perfect sense, and a lot of clouds you just didn't see 15 years ago, and things that just don't make 
since? What are they really spraying in the atmosphere? What is it really doing? And why did Monsanto know to make aluminum-resistant crops? What is geoengineering by the CIA's evergreen air? What is cloud seeding? All good questions. And questions for anybody listening. Absolutely. If anybody thinks they have an answer or wants to provide an answer, they're more than welcome to come on to to this podcast. It's not much, but you know, to start, it's a platform. It's something, you know. I'm uh, also trying to create uh, something called the Agora Podcast with a friend of mine uh, who was one of the last guests on this podcast, um, and just basically give free reign, not free reign so much, but just a space for, you know, a forum, a space for people to come of all different views and just talk and discuss and, you know expound on their views why they hold those views and how they think the world would be a better place you know and again if anybody wants to answer wants to tackle any of these questions any of these things on this podcast you're welcome to jump on we'll arrange a time we'll arrange a day we're going back to kind of the uh going back to some of the questions that you've talked about um they claim it's to uh you know, golden rice and things like that, when they were first coming out, they claimed that it would be increased vitamin A, it would give, you know, starving populations nutrients that they wouldn't normally get otherwise. But here's the question. Let's say it's the best of intentions. Let's say it's the, you know, I, I doubt it, but let's say it's as advertised, you know, they did it because... Yeah, but the road reasons. to hell is paved with good intentions. Absolutely. And here's the other question. How and why did we end up getting to where we needed to modify the food in order for it to have nutrients? What stripped the food of its nutrients in the first place? That's another question nobody asks. What, how, how and why did we get to the point where we can't even drink water from, from the tap nowadays? We have to boil it or we have to triple filter it, you know? Or where we buy bottled water in bulk, you know? And some very few ask. My question, too. And something that uh, particularly concerning the third world should be added on to this. Was the food ever truly depleted of nutrients or did the people overbreed to where the food wouldn't feed them? Could be both. We don't know. I agree. And since one Marshall Plan rebuilt Western Europe from the ashes of World War II up, and eight Marshall Plans has not built Africa any better than fucking sticks and mud huts. Maybe we should reconsider our funding to Africa, but we'll touch on that later. I agree completely. And it's not quite the question of... um, There was an African leader uh, a couple decades ago. His name was uh, Sankara. I forgot which country he was from. But he criticized the uh, concept of the West giving food aid to Africa. Um, even if, again, good intentions or whatnot, what it does is it keeps them in a permanent state of need, permanent state of victimhood. It's, in a way, living like a slave in a, in a wider sense. And he said, if the West really wanted to help, they wouldn't give food aid. They would give us the tools for us to grow our own food. They'd give us plows, tractors, things like that. Um, you know, he kind of listed on what he think would have helped better than just dumping, you know, rice and gruel onto a, a desert ground ready to be taken away by the first corrupt warlord that they saw. Um, but so I in agree. a historical sense, Good. 
in a historical sense, an overbred first world created an overpopulated first world crisis that led to an empty third world or empty third world solution that caused China to have free reign for colonialism. I'm saying this was planned. This was planned from the very beginning. This was planned by a foreign power to send our money over to other countries to feed and breed people who are here to destroy us. People are here by the millions to destroy us. Because even though there weren't that many of them then, they got us to pay for their transports now. Yes. This was planned. Yes, it was. And to anybody who doubts anything of what we've talked about, you are more than welcome to try to debunk us. You're more than welcome to try to um, prove us wrong. Hell, you're more than welcome to look up the numbers here. You know, we'll uh, we'll be happy to, you know, get you back on and see what goes from there. 100%. Yeah, I'd be really interested to see that, actually. So if you do get somebody on, please, man, give me an update. Let me know. Absolutely. I'd be yeah. interested to talk to that individual. Yeah, we'd even make a series of that if you'd like. And once I can upgrade some equipment and things like that, I'd be more than happy to get multiple people on. Um, but I have a, I have a laptop. I'm going to get that up and running soon, so I'll be able to try to do more Skype-based uh, Skype based connections, and then we'll see what it goes from there. Um, and, uh, you know, again, if there's if anybody has answers to these questions, if anybody has uh, some type of explanation that would make sense to the average person, by all means, pop on and talk about it for sure. I look forward to that conversation. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I, I, I have no doubt. a conversation for why my tax dollars should support some lazy motherfucker sitting on his ass at home, <laughs> not doing a damn thing, regardless of the color of his skin, why my tax dollars should support him. Right. I'd be really interested to hear that conversation of somebody who does not get up and go to work in the morning like I do, who does not pay taxes like I do must be supported by me. Very good I didn't question. fuck his mother. <laughs> no, you did not. And I think that can be applied to the concept of foreign aid as well. You know, why are our tax dollars going to other countries? Why is our what? money, our government supporting and propping up other countries, especially in places that have literally nothing to do with ours? No reason. I mean, I would really, I really would, what I need to do is I need to look up the numbers exactly before I can give you the the exact you know rundown here. But I think the best way to put this would be to explain to to each individual what they personally have paid into this shit. Yeah, what their tax bill has come up to has paid this. What the individual cost of the American taxpayer of each one of these little initiatives and plans and whatever the hell else has been. Because if you tell a person. Let's say just throwing out a number there because I don't know if this is right or wrong. I really have no idea. I haven't seen the numbers here, but just say, let's say $600 a year or $300 a year or $10,000 or whatever the hell it is. I don't know. So I don't want to throw that out there. Right. But if you tell somebody who's working at a fucking at a Tom Thumb or a Sefco or a Circle K or, you know, an 87 Depot or whatever gas station you got up north. But you tell somebody who's working at a gas station, you've paid umpteen hundred dollars a year 
to have somebody from the third world who does not know the difference between grab food and rape bitch to replace you for $6 an hour. They're going to lose their goddamn mind. Yep. They're going to want to run their car into the local mayor's office. They're going to want to start scalping government employees. <laughs> They're going to want to write a letter to their congressman with anthrax in it. Like, when if you were to tell people the bill that they've been footing to replace them and destroy them and gut them and rape their people and, you know, subvert their schools and destroy their media and just, if you were to tell people what they've been paying per year for this shit, they would lose their goddamn minds. There is absolutely no doubt of that. Because if you've been paying a single penny, even if you've only been paying one penny a year, and it turns out we all do for reparations tax, it was on the Maybelline can enforce uh, or instrument, it was, we all pay one penny a year for reparations tax. Everybody who's not black. So even Asian people play, uh, uh, pay reparations tax, even though, of course, you know, there were so many Chinese slave owners of black people, right? <laughs> there could have been there could have been there could have been one or two i'm not going to turn that possibility down nope. anything could any. happen let's leave it at that few if any you know and but, i think that this you know and to what, kind of but no serious question why are all asians in america paying a reparations tax for black people that is a strange question especially because they're that a minority in and, of, in and of themselves just We'll, we'll, we'll probably cover that later. I'd love to hear an answer for that one. But why are all Asian people? Why, in fact, somebody who is a Japanese immigrant who got here two generations ago, who's an American now, here to black people? I would really like to hear what exactly the reason for that is, why that's okay for our government to do that. Right. And I'd love to know who's in charge of these initiatives, because they're probably going to have a certain kind of last name or hold a certain kind of view, you know? I'd be very interested to hear that. Oh, yeah. I mean, say what you want about us, white boys. Say what you want about us, really. I don't care. I don't care. I know my ancestors were not rich enough to own slaves, and then only 3% of the people in the South actually owned slaves. And of my ancestors, my last name comes from somebody who lived in the North, and my, uh, my grandmother on my dad's side's last name came from somebody who fought for the South. Yeah. So, really, either way you look at it, one way or the other, my kid didn't own slaves. We couldn't fucking afford it. Yeah. Most people couldn't afford turns it. Turns out, yeah. Yeah. It turns out only 3% of, of people all across the South even could afford it. And of those people that could afford it, they would much rather buy an Irish slave for four or five pounds sterling than an African slave for 50 pounds sterling. Yeah. Yeah. It was what it fucking was. Yep. You know, the price wasn't controlled by us who buy slaves, the price was controlled by those who sell slaves and you should look at their last names. That's really interesting. And you should look at their, uh, their racial or religious preference. And you should look at their, uh, their nation of origin. You should look at things like that. Those are really, really interesting things to look at. But Absolutely. And given I, the hate that everybody the, gives in the South with regards to, uh, to uh, slavery and things like that, you should ask why the biggest port of call for the slave trade in America at its highest was the Rhode Island. In Rhode Island, northern state. Wasn't the south, northern state. Nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about how Louisiana was the first state to pass slave protection laws and they treated slaves like livestock under the new protection laws. It was because some bitch kept hurting her slaves in, in uh, New Orleans. Exactly. Why do you think there's so much of a <clears throat> strong Creole culture in, uh, in Louisiana and in New Orleans? 
That explains it. Oh, come on. Don't even try to fake that fucking <laughs> Come on now. I ain't been to that city. You ain't been to that city. You're not going to try and give me that shit. First off, I live in the redneck Riviera, motherfucker. Come right, on now. Right, right. I understand. <laughs> I thought I'd cheese you a little bit. But um, no, I uh, again, there are so many questions. We, we've pulled up like five, ten questions in the past you know, hour or so. And, oh, yeah, you know you're going to go through this podcast again with fucking notes and write down like 10 or 12 different oh, yeah. topics. That's what we do. Yeah, and I'm always positive somebody somewhere is going to respond to this podcast, whether, you know, our friend or, you know, otherwise, and you're just going to be like, wait, I want to answer that. I'm like, okay, jump on, you know? Fuck yeah, open dialogue. Let's have some fun with it. Yep, open dialogue, absolutely, as it should be. All right, man, but I'm going to head out, and this was an amazing podcast. This is the first of many, going to be the first of many podcasts with you and I. I'm going to definitely have you back on as a guest. And uh, yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, man, that sounds cool. And uh, here, I don't know about uh, about where you're at as far as your time zone or anything, but here it's 12.45 a.m. And uh, I've still got a roof to finish and a bunch of shit I got to do tomorrow. You have a great night, man. I think it's about time to go. I'm going to finish my beer and probably go to bed. Yep, I'm going to head straight home and go to sleep. Hell yeah, man. Definitely, man. Have a good night. Good talking to you. You too.